0: Bibles and let's go to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. One word we want to talk about and that word is crucified. Matthew chapter 26 and then we'll go to 27. In Matthew 26, look at verse 3, then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people unto the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas. And They consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill him. If you go to Matthew 27 now, look at verse 35, that first sentence there, and they crucified him. They crucified him. I think anybody who reads this story will know that it's a lot easier to read than it is to think about trying to relive. The preceding chapter gives us the betrayal of Jesus by Judas. Betrayals can be difficult in any setting, but they're always difficult when it comes from someone that's close to you. You've ever had a relative, best friend of someone that knew something about you but betrayed your trust. And you can understand what Jesus experienced when Judas planted a kiss on his cheek. We know that there was a conspiracy against Jesus because folks were jealous, and that jealousy was so bad that it led men to gather together to look for someone who was the weak spot in that circle of disciples. This is why the Scripture says they consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety. They didn't want a lot of people to know what they were going to do. They had to be very careful with how they put their plan into effect. Nevertheless, Judas was that weak spot. They apprehended our Savior as he was in the garden, having finished praying. And the Scripture says in verse 1 of chapter 27 that the chief priests and elders took counsel against our Lord, and their objective was simple. They wanted him dead. Some people just weren't happy with Christ. And I want to tell you right now that if Jesus was alive today, Doing then or doing today what he did then, they'd crucify him one more time. And this is why as Christians, we that are part of the body of Christ, if we desire to live for God and to manifest the traits of Jesus and his characteristics, the same spirit that animated those people to kill him then will be opposed to Jesus today. If you don't believe me, just think about this past week's events. Little girl, who was a beautiful little girl as a girl, at some point in her life decided she wanted to be a boy. Unhappy with what happened in her life or what was going on in her life, this young lady decides to take some weapons and go to a Christian school and then assault and shoot whoever she could find in those hallways. Well, of course, when it's all over, and the news reporters and everybody's talking about it, nobody's mentioning at all the Christian children, the children at the Christian school that died. They just want to make sure we get the pronouns right. They want to make sure that we talk about things related to confusion of identity and transgender people who, who really are boys but are girls or really are girls but are boys, and all of that is against those that have any kind of linkage to Jesus Christ because there's a spirit that animates humanity that doesn't like the cause of Christ, the character of Jesus. You don't have to necessarily agree with everything that takes place. I can tell you Jesus made this statement. Don't be surprised if they hate you, they hate me. And in these last days, we're seeing seducing spirits, doctrines of devils that are leading to division in homes, where the Bible talks about people that are covenant breakers, children against parents, parents against children, lying and sorcery and all kinds of wickedness. There's an assemblage of people that have a desire, and that is to put Jesus to death. How can we silence him? How can we keep his words from penetrating our minds? How can we keep him from speaking in the public form? In verse 2 says, when they bound him, they led him away, delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. They wanted Jesus to die. He didn't resist, he didn't fight. And because that was the characteristic Of Jesus at that time, that typically is the trait of Christians today. We don't fight and resist those that attack us. And Jesus had turned the other cheek and, and all of that. And this is why the world thinks they can step on the believer and stamp out the Christian faith. But I can tell you this, you try to eradicate Christianity and it just multiplies and grows. That underground church in China is greater than it was a hundred years ago because the communists have done everything they could to put Christians in work camps. There are a lot of believers that love God now. The spirit behind all of this that motivates people. What is it that causes people on these programs like The View? Call somebody like Whoopi Goldberg or some of these other people that say Christians are some of the greatest terrorists on the planet. I can tell you exactly what it is. It's a spirit that animates all of these voices. People say these things. Judas betrayed the Lord. He knew better. But having covenanted with those chief priests for some silver. The Bible says in verse 3, when he saw that he was condemned, he brought the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest, he said, I've sinned. In verse 5, he threw the silver down in the temple, and he went out and he hanged himself. Why did he take his own life? He took his life because he knew what he did was wrong. He was overcome with grief, overcome with shame, overcome with condemnation. I want you to understand that there was no mental illness here with Judas. He knew what he did was wrong. And we try to make everything today some kind of an illness so that people aren't responsible for their behavior. Well, you understand, Pastor, that the reason he or she went out there with a machete or a machine gun and, and killed 11 people is because they're mentally ill. Maybe, maybe they're just mean-spirited. Yeah. Maybe they're just disgruntled. The moment you remove responsibility from that person, you remove culpability from them, and they don't feel like they've done anything wrong. This is why people go to court and they'll plead insanity when they knew exactly what they were doing when they went in there and took somebody's life. Insanity. Yeah. Happens every single day. It's not his fault. He can't help it. He's an alcoholic. He doesn't have to open up that cap on that bottle. He doesn't have to open up that can at all. It's not her fault. She can't help the fact that she's driven by these tendencies. She doesn't have to go down that pathway and yield to the appetites and the cravings of the flesh, however great they are, because there are other appetites they don't yield to. So why do they yield to that? I've seen a lot of people take their lives. They didn't have to take their lives, but some people took their lives because of fear of exposure. Their sin has come out. Their secret has been revealed. It wasn't a mental illness at all. This man Judas betrayed the man that was going to die on the cross for the sins of the world. He betrayed the Lamb of God. He knew who he was. He knew this man healed the sick and cast out devils and raised the dead and cleansed the lepers. He fed the poor. He knew of the miracles. He knew exactly what he had done. 30 pieces of silver. Have you ever betrayed Jesus? Have you ever gotten with a crowd and in the midst of that crowd didn't want people to know you were a Christian? Have you ever been so ashamed of your family, of a church, that you tried to hide your connection with them because you did not want anybody to think, oh, my goodness, I'm affiliated with, with that word Christ, with that word Christian, then your betrayal is as bad as Judas. The only difference is it didn't lead to Jesus' death. But if we had opportunity, we'd crucify Jesus all over again with our betrayal. Stand firmly with what you believe. All the disciples fled in the Garden of Gethsemane when the army showed up, but it's not the plan of God for us to flee from persecution, but to take a stand for what we believe. Stand by Christ. Stand by the cross. Stand by righteousness. Yeah. So they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field. These people tried and succeeded in bribing Judas to betray Jesus. And later, after the resurrection, they did the same thing, took the money from the treasury and bribed the Roman soldiers. Money is powerful. The Bible says money answers all things. There are people that can be bought. And there are people that will yield to their desires to have more money. They'll skim a little bit from here, take a little bit from there, hope nobody will see what they're doing. But I'm telling you, God's looking over our shoulders. He sees what happens. These chief priests weren't righteous. These elders weren't just. But they were fulfilling the prophet Jeremiah, who spake in the Old Testament about what would take place, but our Savior stood before that governor Pilate, and Pilate asked him, Are you the King of the Jews? And Jesus said, You're the one that is saying that. He didn't say anything else. Kept quiet. The Pilate, of course, he vacillated back and forth. He didn't know what to do. He knew he was innocent knew he should release them, didn't want to release them because the crowd was angry. If he released them, then the crowd might come after him. He didn't want rebellion inside of that city, and he certainly didn't want the emperor of Rome to have to come over there and ask questions about why you cannot keep these Jewish people in line. So this man Pilate, in verse 19, he sat on the judgment seat, and God, having dealt with his pagan wife, said to him, you better leave this man Jesus alone because I've suffered many things on account of him in a dream. I'm telling God can even talk to a sinner. God can invade the dreams of an unbelieving person. And let them know that what's going on is wrong. Now maybe you, you have dreams before you became a Christian. It stuck with you, staying with you now. You might even be recalling one or two dreams you had in your previous, before Christian days. And God was stirring up the pot in your life, shaking the foundations of what's going on in your life in order to let you know, rather than persecuting Jesus, you ought to join him. Rather than running from the king, you ought to flee to him as a refuge. These chief priests, they persuaded Pilate to let a genuine criminal go free. That's why when he asked them the question in verse 22, what shall I then do with Christ, they all shouted, let him be crucified. That's why that's not a question we can ask our culture today. What do you want us to do with Jesus? I can tell you exactly exactly. What this nation wants us to do with Jesus, they want us to make sure nobody prays to him at a football game. They want to make sure that his name isn't mentioned in the school system, that there are no Ten Commandments. They want to make sure that when it comes to the Word of God that the history books are eradicated, that we don't ever learn that our founding fathers of this nation, the very pilgrims that came from Europe, came with a love for God and carried Bibles. They don't want any of that in the history of this world. What will you do with Christ? We know what they're doing with Christ. They're doing what they can to get rid of it. Revising statements of the past. But you know what would be a good trip for any of you in here? Tiffany and I, years ago, fortunate enough to do this, go to Washington, D.C., get on a bus tour, and drive all around. Washington with a guide. Let a guide point out to you all the places that are there in D.C. that have Christian inscriptions on them. You won't take hardly 50 steps without walking in to some direction where you can see a building that has a text on it from the Bible. Yeah. So much of our history. Many of our courthouses, even out here, if you walk around some of the foundations, they've got scriptures that are on them. People don't want us to know that. They say Christianity is a terrible thing. It's a bad thing. It's the thing that is causing all of the repression of all of these different kinds of lifestyles. It's because God has in his word what is right and what is wrong. Jesus said, have you not read in the beginning that he that made them made them male and female? A couple of weeks ago when I was getting things in order so I can go into the prison system to preach again, I had a pamphlet of paper papers this thick that said to me that for these prisoners, you got to recognize there are 19 different genders. There are two. Male and female. Male and female. Utterly confused. What shall I then do with Jesus? Pilate, him. Let him be free. Let him be free in your life. Let Christ be unveiled in your speech. Let Christ be unveiled in the manner in which you live. Don't be like others that say, let him be crucified. Let him die. Let him be hidden. Let him be buried. Let's keep anybody from knowing who he is. I know that is what people want, but we have to be people that walk with God. We're called to be Christians witnesses that are ready to stand not only by the cross, but willing to be crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live. Not us, but Christ that lives within us. The governor knew that he had done no wrong. He said, this man hadn't done anything evil. They shouted and they cried, let him be crucified. About 10 years ago at one of the major political conventions in this, This nation, they were shouting, Down with God, and God is dead. Opposed to God. Not even interested in God. I heard somebody in an interview earlier this week said, God made me the way that I am. A man, just like a woman, lipstick, wig, and everything else. God made me the way that I am, and God made me in her image. Deception. Deception. They're saying, Let them be crucified. I don't want to hear anything about God. But Pilate, when he saw that he could not prevail, he called for one of his servants to bring him a bowl. And that man took his hands, dipped it in that water, and washed his hands. And he said, I'm innocent of the blood of this just man. But I'm telling you right now, he can't wash the blood of Jesus off his hands. Neither can any of us if we deny him and won't walk with him. I doubt if it's true, but I know there used to be a, a story told in the ancient church of a vision that a man had. And the story was that they looked up and they came into this special part where there was torment and fire, and it was like a, a river. Fire and blood there, and it was just boiling and belching. And they got there and they looked, and and it was Pilate, and Pilate was just screaming and just shouting in agony, It won't come off, it won't come off. And he's trying to scrub that blood off of his hand. It was just a dream. But you understand the principle there's nothing you can do to get that blood off your hands but accept Christ as your Savior. You can go to any church you want to go to. You can be baptized as many times you want to be baptized. You can take communion in every church on planet Earth. That won't save you. You have to have a relationship with God where he enters into that heart where somebody has repented and embraced him as the Savior. Only then can you alleviate yourself of the guilt and the burden of sin in your life. There is no other way. People have been trying for centuries to wash the blood off their hands. They'll say, well, Jesus wasn't really God. What are they saying? I'm not guilty of the blood of that man. They'll say he was just a good teacher. He never, ever said that he he would atone for our sins. They're trying to get that blood off their hands. They're saying, well, you don't understand, when I was a kid, I went to Sunday school. My parents took me week after week. I never missed all of my childhood. I don't need any more religion today. They're saying, I want to take this blood off of my hands. But all of them shouted in verse 25, no, his blood be on us and our children. What a curse to call on your family and your nation. Well, Pilate was afraid of the mob. He released Barabbas because during the feast of Passover, the civil authority was able to show mercy and grace to one prisoner and release them. He didn't release Jesus, an innocent man. He released the guilty man. And the Bible says the soldiers took Jesus from that hall, stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe and put a crown of thorns on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee and mocked him. And verse 30 says they spit on him and took the reed and smote him on the head. Now you've got to be a pretty good visionary to imagine this scene. Our Savior, with whatever attire he was wearing, was forcibly stripped of that clothing. And then they made him put on a robe he likely didn't want to wear, but because it was the color, a royal color, they put it on him, and they put a crown of thorns, not a genuine crown on his head like he deserved, but one that had been twisted with those sharp thorns from one of those trees out there. Pressed it down on his brow. Imagine the pain, the blood trickling down the sides of his face. Then they all had the audacity to bow the knee before him to mock him. I can promise you this, Philippians makes it very plain in chapter 2, every knee will bow before him. And if they haven't already bowed, they will bow again. Then they took that reed and beat him over the head with it, having spat on him. I don't think there's a man or woman in here that even wants a person to spit in their direction. And we don't even like the gurgling sound of someone who's about to spit. I don't know how many soldiers were in this hall. And I have no idea how many soldiers walked up to our Savior and spat on him. But think of what he must have looked like if one by one they all spat on A wet, bloody mess. For your sins and my sins, he endured all of this. And the scripture makes it very plain that afterwards, the people were still shouting, crucify him. And they led him out for the cross on his back. And he had to make that long journey. But before they did that, they raked his back lacerated his skin, blood was, I'm sure, spewing out in different locations across his back, down his legs and everywhere else, barely able to stand. He has to carry that cross to the place of his crucifixion, and with all the strength left in his body that he could muster, he carries that cross. He didn't give up. He didn't walk away. He didn't grow weary. He did all of that for you and for me with everything that he did, with everything that he endured. And then we complain about the weather if we have to go to church in the rain. Oh, my goodness, I can't believe they expect me to come to church five weeks in a row. We complain about how difficult our life has been. God, do you even care about all of the things that I have suffered in this brief period in my life? This man bore the sins of the world. You've never borne anybody's sins. You've had to endure your own. You've had to live with the consequences of your own bad judgment, your own bad decisions, your own sinful inclinations. But this man, substitutionally, is carrying a cross to Calvary to die in our place so that we can identify him and be free of all of our guilt and shame and whatever sin. You've had in your past, whatever sins you have in your life now, you can still, by faith, append them to the cross, and you can walk away free. Yeah. No other faith on the planet offers that. If a Muslim wants assurance of heaven, what do they believe they need to do? Die a martyr in jihad. And That's why you see so many young men and women who isolate themselves in the cause of Allah, put a bomb vest on, go to a bus stop, stand amongst the crowd, wait for the proper time, get on the bus with grandmas, grandpas, and soldiers and others, wait for the bus to start rolling, and then stand up in the aisle and shout, God is greater. And when people turn and say, What, what, what are you saying? Then they hit a button. Then there's an explosion, a ball of fire, and a bus jumps up off the ground about five feet or so, and you've got nothing but blood and bone fragments in every direction because they believe, because Muhammad taught in his traditions, that that's a sure way to make it to the Islamic heaven, die a martyr. I'm telling you, folks, the pathway of Christ is so much easier. Can you imagine being in a religion where you have to go through a series of reincarnations, hoping that your station in life gets better and better with every existence, as millions, if not a billion people in India believe, in Nepal, parts of Tibet, parts of Pakistan, that you can be reincarnated as a cat, a bug. Maybe as a person with a greater station in life and depending on how you live in this life will, depend, will will influence how you come to live in the next life. And there are plenty of people that are hopeless and they go to the Ganges River there, one of the dirtiest rivers on planet Earth where you'll see animals and other things bathing in the water and the people believe it's holy and they'll go dip themselves in that water thinking it's going to sanctify them and prepare them for heaven. I'm telling you the pathway of Christ. Christ is better. It's better. So much better. Our Savior had to carry that cross and march towards Golgotha of Hill. And when he got on that cross and they had nailed him, hoisted him up because of the pain, those soldiers wanted to give him something in verse 34 to maybe numb. The sensations of what he had experienced, they offered him vinegar, mingled with this gall that would be like an ancient form of liquid morphine. Jesus, when he tasted it, he wouldn't drink it. Why? He wanted to experience it all, all the pain, all the shame, all the agony for you and for me, and there... They crucified him. And while he died a slow death, the Roman soldiers who had their own beliefs, who were polytheistic, believed in the Roman gods of Jupiter and Apollo and all of these different gods they thought they could pray to that were half-god, half-man, that had relationships with human beings and created heroes like Hercules and so on. They sat at the foot of the cross and they gambled for our Savior's clothing. How could people be so negligent? And how could people disregard truth in this matter? I could tell you how. They didn't believe in Jesus. And when you run into people today and they say, I don't care anything about Christianity, they've been very honest. They're just like the people that were the Roman soldiers sitting at the feet of the cross. I mean, here Jesus has died on the cross for the sins of the world. He's there to save. And I mean, within four feet, within reaching distance, they've got salvation there, and they don't even want it. Plenty of people have Bibles on their shelves. They have the things in their home. That can fix their marriage, fix their children, fix their church, but they don't even reach for the book that has the answers. It's all there. It's within reach. They don't want it. What are they doing? They're gambling, gambling with their soul, gambling with their life. They say, I don't have time for these things. Why should I be as fanatical and as disciplined and as passionate about God as you are when I can sit here and I can play Russian roulette with my soul? And just hope that in the final moments of my life, I'll have a chance to repent. What if you don't have a chance? What if your son or granddaughter doesn't have a chance? What if they die in a terrible calamity? instant, And they're gone. They gambled. Our Savior is dying. And they're worried about the material things of his life. It says in verse 36, they sat there and they watched him. (laughs) Isn't that something? Sitting down, they watched him there. They said, look at this man. He's supposed to be somebody's savior. He's hanging up on the cross. What kind of a deliverer is this? People walking by, mocking him. They hear Jesus mumbling a few little sayings on the cross. We know the seven sayings on the cross. Father, forgive them of their sins and so on and so forth. But they put that little sign over that cross that said, this is is Jesus, the king of the Jews. But they didn't put that sign over the other thieves that are crucified, one on the right hand, one on the left. And, of course, the, the conversation going back and forth amongst the people is, he saved other people, can he save himself? You've got one thief over here saying, look, you're supposed to be God. Do something, get us off of this cross. We don't want to die either. You're supposed to be some some kind of superhero. Do something to help us. The other thief on the other side of the cross is saying, look, you need to mind your business. This man had not done anything to be up here. We're guilty of everything we've done, but I've heard about this man. And Jesus is hanging right there in the middle. He's exhausted, as exhausted as the other thieves are. It's painful to have nails driven in your hands into the wood, and you've got to stand there without anything to rest your backside on to, to relax your legs or the the upper torso of your body. But yet hanging there in the middle of all of that, you're trying to push up just to be able to get a a breath because of how you're stretched out there. These folks are arguing about what's right and what's wrong related to Christ. Isn't it amazing? The things that we'll argue about that just don't make any sense at all. of very little value. When it comes to redemption and salvation, but at least one thief did have sense enough to say, Lord, please, please remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus said to that man, This day, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Here's a man, never been through catechism, hadn't been baptized hadn't gone through 19 lessons or classes on how to become a Christian. He just simply had a, a brief conversation that nobody else knew about, probably didn't even understand, and yet Jesus gave him access to heaven because he came to believe that Jesus was who he said he was while hanging on the cross. And people were probably walking by and said, all of you deserve to die, and didn't even know that that thief is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. I wonder. Are there people that have died in the history of this world that we in our heart have said, you deserve to perish, you deserve to rot in hell, but yet they're in glory, in glory. I can tell you one thing. I'm glad Jesus, uh, Jesus and the Father are on that throne rather than me and rather than you because I'm sure there are a whole lot of people probably should get in there and we'd keep out. And there'd be some folks we ought to keep out that'd probably be getting in. But God is righteous. Here's a man on this side of the cross. That man died in his sin. He died an unbeliever. And Then here's a man on this side of Jesus. This man died to sin. That means he became a Christian. He became a follower, a disciple of Jesus on the cross. And then the man in the middle, this man died for sin. He's the one that died for us. You see. Died for us in our place, in our stead. He died he hung his head and shouted, it is finished. And I'm telling folks, when he shouted, it is finished, it truly was done. The process of salvation was complete. Our redemption was secure because all we have to do is believe in him. His death on the cross is effective for any and all who will believe. Doesn't matter who, what nation they come from, what background they come from, short, tall, big, or small, wide, skinny, anybody can come to know this God have crucifixion. Oh, my goodness. It's a powerful time. But in closing, these people mocked Jesus, and in verse 43, they continued their mockery. They said, He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him, for he said, I'm the Son of God. Then darkness came over all the land until the ninth hour. And I bet most of the people still didn't get that sign. All that darkness taking place, you know. The good thing about this story is this isn't where it ends. They take him down off that cross, they put him in that tomb, but you do know 72 hours later or so he came up out of that grave. Yeah. And because he's alive today and lives forevermore, we have a great hope to know that we're saved. Yeah. I've told you before I don't know how anybody on this planet makes it without Christ. I just I don't understand it. I wouldn't want to go to the post office without Jesus. I wouldn't. I I would not want to get on an airplane without knowing Christ as my savior. But knowing that He is my Savior, I'm not afraid to go anywhere. Yeah knowing that on the other side of my last breath that that I would one day see him face to face that's a powerful thing and i don't know what my first i don't know what my first statement would be what my first action would be if i were to see the lord but i can tell you one thing i'd be forever grateful that i made it in yeah forever grateful i know there's enough sin in my life to keep me out you know God I'd be forever grateful. And one day, we are going to see him. Yeah. And it's going to be powerful. But meanwhile, we've got to occupy till till he comes. And we do know that he's coming. Yeah. So let's be diligent. Let's be faithful. Let's be strong witnesses. Let's not be ashamed of him nor his cross or his empty tomb. And let's let the world know that the Christ that rose from the dead dwells in our hearts. Yeah. And we'll continue this next week when we get him up out of that grave in another way, looking into the Word of God. Come on, let's stand.